Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-host, uh, he of the vanished hairline, Peyton Guthrie, uh, and then also joined uh, by, by the man, the brawn, the brains behind the operation, uh, Alan Kinney on the East Coast. He's always an hour ahead. Uh, he's always the man to plan. Uh, Alan, how you doing out there on uh, Valentine's even? I know we've got a, you know some lovers and losers kind of a podcast going on. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, how's man, it going? Yeah. Oh, you know, I can't, no complaints here, man. You know, uh, no, all good out this way. I mean, you know, just uh, taking it all in. It was a fun Super Bowl. Uh, now, you know, though football's really gone, time for, uh, look. I, I mean, I do love, I love hoops. Like, I love NBA basketball, love college basketball. So, uh, I still love this time of year. But, you know, it's uh, it's always a little bittersweet when football comes to an end. It is. I mean, before we dive directly into the, that game well i mean football's not over yet i, I believe this weekend the xfl oh, is true. kicking off dallas i mean your arlington renegades you know, by the merch, part, part by the merch. yeah sorry yes the rock would be very disappointed in you right now <laughs> uh i mean you mentioned the nba i mean that's one that it's not on our topic points but i mean uh I, what are you thinking about how it's going to shake out is that Kyrie, uh kevin durant stuff really going to shake out how all this stuff is playing i know Kyrie's. i think what had two games with the Mavs and played very very well obviously on his best behavior <laughs> yeah. Uh, at this point in time. Uh, do you think that lasts? Do you think such a ball dominant guy can play right next to us? Another such a ball dominant guy uh, in Luka? Oh man. You know, that's the, uh, that's the question, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, it always feels like with Kyrie, you're just kind of, it starts off great. And then, yeah. eh, you know, uh, somebody said the most stunning thing about that whole deal with the Nets to me you had KD, Kyrie, and Harden, right, all together. Mm-hmm. They played a total of 16 games together. Yeah. That's it, man. Like, that's just, I mean, like, if that doesn't, I mean, the NBA, man, I mean, you know, even with all the player empowerment or what have you, whether or not that's legit or not, man, you know, you, there's only so much you can do when the guys, guys can't stay healthy, you know. Um, yeah. And then yeah, the one, yeah. the one deep run they did have. I mean, if Katie's foot one, is one inch shorter, yeah, they're winning right. the title. <laughs> yeah, mean, you're right. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's the hard part of figuring it all out. Yep, yep. No, I still like. I mean, I like the way Milwaukee's starting to round into form. I like Boston a lot too. I I still think one of those two teams is going to end up winning it. But uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's a we'll we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm I'm finally getting to that age where you know my favorite team, obviously the Spurs. That's for you, Davis. Another drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I see I saw Tim Duncan grow from the best player on the planet to one of the best players to obviously still reputationally good, but he's not putting up 25 and you know mm-hmm. 15 every night, and he's there and he had that one last run. He's a very key point in that, and now we're seeing that on you know with uh, Harden, obviously Russ is. Mm-hmm beyond that but you know kevin durant went from the best player to now oh he does need much more help obviously he can get his (laughs) he needs his point same thing for lebron james like he's still averaging he's averaging more than he ever has i believe um points per game but the impact on the game is different and now it's the second wave of the all-stars have now you know descended now we're on the the new wave of uh you know, uh, was I mean, who who is the next? I mean, I, I guess yeah, the Greek, Luca, obviously Luca, yeah. um, the Memphis Honest. guy. Uh, oh, John, John Morant, yeah, yeah, Jason Tatum. I mean, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those guys. Um, yeah, and you know, and like I don't know. I mean, Banchero looks pretty good from what I've seen uh, in mm-hmm. Orlando. I mean, you know, up and down. I mean, and then you know, it, it always feels too like Golden State just needs kind of like if they just maybe tweak things just a little bit you never really know with them right like i mean they could always go on a run yeah i mean they're just light years ahead so it, that's yeah. that's the hard part it's we yeah. gotta catch up to them uh and then we got victor who'll be in the black and silver next year as well so that's <laughs> yeah. gonna be it's, it's gonna be fun times you <laughs> yeah. know all around uh now getting back into the actual meat of the of the program, the thing everyone wants to talk about is football. I mean, you know, basketball sadly is a niche sport now, according to uh, <laughs> TV ratings. Uh, but the Super Bowl thirty-eight, the thirty-five came down to a a very kind of um, Ohio State Miami type of hold no hold type of situation. Even though I think that's kind of yeah yada 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 yada. I mean, the game was decided much. You know, I don't know. Boiling all down to a single hold is kind of whatever. Uh, but the Eagles just just short had plenty of time, plenty of options to really bury the Chiefs. They just couldn't do it. And then the you know as uh, I can't remember the the people who said it, but Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, uh, the man who floats three inches off the ground, <laughs> did what he had to do and got it done. Um, but what are I mean, what are some like threads or something as you're watching that game? Are you thinking, oh wow, this is one of the better Super Bowls we've seen, top five? I mean, just like uh entertainment wise i mean what, what were you thinking as that game was going down other than it's going to hit the over <laughs> yeah that was uh that was uh obvious pretty quick in that game wasn't it um no i mean i thought it was a, a really great game you know it was kind of two teams on the cutting edge of football it felt like both you know i, I think with kansas city you look at it maybe in terms of the passing game and then mm-hmm. uh you know Philadelphia has kind of a, a new age running game for the NFL. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was, it was, I thought it was really well played, honestly, you know, uh, you know, the one thing and like whatever the fishing, but they got to get these fields taken care of, man. That just makes no sense to me that, that yeah, the field would be in that bad a shape. So close. I mean, you know, uh, it's not like the Cardinals were, you know, had, did they have those kinds of same problems? I don't know. I didn't watch a lot of Cardinals games this year, but (laughs) you know, you see that, you see that a lot in these big games. If there's been a layoff and they're laying down a field and they're like, it's been an issue in Arizona before, but Mm -hmm. it just, it really detracts from the, the overall quality of the game, in my opinion. I mean, the field was so bad. I mean, cause I remember 
an $800,000 field, which has grown two years in advance in, you know, in Arizona using the patented Tahoma 21 uh, uh, seed and, you know, mixed with rye and the paint and all that type of stuff. Uh, You know, the field conditions were so bad. Oklahoma State University had to put out a presser. (laughs) <laughs> absolving yeah. themselves yeah. of the Tahoma 21 in, you know, invention in which they invented. Uh, and it's funny too, on the press release, they talk about how uh, uh, other other stadiums and fields use Tahoma 21. Uh, uh, but according to that press release, Oklahoma State doesn't use it. <laughs> like yeah. it I was like, uh, uh, it looked great <laughs> until mm, you yeah. obviously had to play on it. Obviously that changes things. Uh, mm. The thing I want to kind of rant and rave about just slightly um, is, and and to me, people falling on the field. I mean that that happens. They both have to play on it. It's so like one team was more right. outsized about it than the other. Uh, the thing that bothers me the most about modern day NFL is, man, Dallas Goddard caught that football. I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean I don't, I don't know. I literally can't decide what it catches anymore half the time. Like I'm yeah. literally, I see two feet in, see hands, and it's like five feet later he falls down and, you know, doesn't, the football fumbles out of his hand and he's handing it to the ref and it's incomplete. I mean, it, it that's the thing, like that has to be figured out. Cause I mean, if I'm an Eagles fan, the hold, whatever, dude just couldn't, couldn't catch a football up to the, whatever standards the ref have, this refs decided that day of what a catch needed to be. That, that, and I, I know it's that it's when did that like really start like Des? I mean, and I don't think he caught yeah. it because I'm a Dallas Cowboys hater. Uh, <laughs> but man, that that's to me the hyper focus, the being able to go frame by frame in 8K is kind of like ruined the spirit of the game to a certain degree. Right. The chase of being technically correct versus yeah, he caught that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, it kind of it reminds me a few years ago, you if you recall, um Virginia was playing Texas Tech in the uh, NCAA fi- finals of the uh, NCAA tournament, and there was they they had so many different angles of this one play late in the game that they were viewing. It was going to be a possession issue. Who uh, who touched the ball last? And like you know, it was a kind of deal where like a fingernail from one player touched the ball, and the way you could the only way you could tell is you could see the ball slightly spin a yeah. different direction. I mean come on man like the thing the thing of it is is like is you know we have if in if you so long as you believe that like your officials are on the up and up like i don't understand why we can't just agree like hey it's their judgment like let's just move on like let's accept it you know what i mean like because you know what you end up getting a lot of times is officials making decisions knowing okay well i can go back on replay and then yeah but then the standard has already been set in terms of you know by doing that you've already said well okay you know you have to have indisputable evidence well what if there what if it really is a borderline call like some of those catches (laughs) what what's the point i just I, i could go on and on and on about this um it's and it's just you know the people that uh, we've got this technology now but i just i don't know like to me there's we've gone too far uh in terms of this quest for accuracy when really you know or you know 
there's never going to you just can't match that you can't you can't that's not a you know 100 accuracy or what have you i mean everything's going to involve some element of judgment yeah and but you know and i get why the nfl and the sporting you know and all the sport leagues i mean to be honest with you have decided to do that is that millions of dollars are being waged on these games <laughs> i mean yeah you have to be as you have to be as right as you possibly can you know especially yeah. after the nba uh who was that mm. nba ref um, Don, Tim Donaghy. Yeah, yeah. A- after that type of thing, it's like, this is, has to be perfect. But to me, the only two sports that get that type of thing right, and one of the sports doesn't even really u- use it that much, uh, tennis, I think tennis has it down tennis right. Tennis has it right, yeah. Perfect. It's like, boom. And then yeah. golf. Mm-hmm. I don't think golf uses it in that manner, but it's really cool when you get to the 8K and you see it like barely hit the blade of grass. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, except for that one time. I think like they got Tiger Woods like picking up a stick or something and the ball moved. <laughs> yeah. I remember that being a thing. Uh, yeah. It's like we're getting too far into it. Uh, but but further uh, NFL thoughts and Super Bowl thoughts. Um, is Jalen Hurts the best OU, I, don't know, I guess we got to claim him, uh, University of mm-hmm. Oklahoma quarterback that's ever played in the NFL at this point in time? Does his resume at 24 years old already outperform any uh, OU quarterback, we'll say modern day. I don't want to go mm-hmm. to like some, you know, quarterback who became a running back or, you know, a safety yeah. or something, just like a modern day quarterback. Uh, I think it's probably yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, is, is I don't know. I mean, what, what do you, is I, that I, strange I, for University of Oklahoma? <laughs> to, to, yeah. This is the best one. <laughs> right. I mean, here, like the way I look at it, you know, with Hertz, um, he came along at such a good moment, right? And we've talked about this before about how, you know, essentially the Eagles have been able to build kind of this just, just outstanding complement of weapons like around him to kind of, you know, match his skill set. And the fact that he's on that cheap contract really allows him to invest in other spots, you know. Um, so, but I don't, I mean, you know, certainly accomplishment wise, I don't see how you could argue differently. I mean, it's, it's not just that his team won. I mean, he, he had a great season. He had a productive season. He was efficient in all, all the kind of ways that a player with his skill set you would hope would be. So, I, I mean, you know, I think you, I think you got to say yes. Now I, the, you know, again, I still have my concerns um, about, hurts in the long term because yeah. in the nfl those those hits they they mount up and they can they can snowball on you really fast uh and he was already knocked out some games this year right right exactly so you know that's the part of it where you know but you know you you wonder about his long-term future but i mean you know he's definitely been a uh a, a shooting star right now right i mean two, two three years he's been that he's been in the league he's been there's really no arguing with uh, the amount of production he's been able to uh, put forward. Yeah, the thing that worries me about Jalen moving forward, beyond just the, the actual style of play, is the NFL figures things out. <laughs> it's their mm-hmm. job to figure stuff out. Um, you know, how long will the late 90s, early 2000 Kansas State playbook with a good passing game uh, last? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, we've seen that with uh, Lamar Jackson the efficiency starts dipping once NFL teams start figuring out the run game and figuring out what sort of things you're trying to do. And it, it, it takes, you know, I mean, Kaepernick was there for a while. Uh, I still think RG three would have been great <laughs> if his leg like, hadn't yeah. you know, been ripped apart in the way that was, uh, but it takes like two to three years. And then guys really start 
I mean, they're paid millions of dollars to figure out how to do this. And the only thing that, that the only type of quarterback that just really can't be figured out is like a Mahomes, where it's like, I can throw this ball into any window, period, and it will get there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing. I just don't think Hurts is that type of quarterback. I mean, I think obviously those passing windows and stuff like that are available to him just because of the nature of who he is, that he can run, and they have these actions that, that kind of create that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the defensive coordinators get paid too. But right. the NFL is much more offensive league at this point in time. The rules are shifting further and further and further away from the defense that maybe this style of quarterback can continue beyond just taking those hits uh, every day and every game. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, And, but it was, it was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, watching that because again, the, the Eagles offense was basically what Bill Snyder used to do, you know, back in, back in his heyday. And uh, you know, like seeing that translated the NFL where you just never used to see, you know, I mean, that kind of, that kind of a game plan going forward, you know, was uh, that part of it was, was really cool to me. Yeah. That I think the coolest part, and this will help us tra- transition to the next talking point that Patrick Mahomes brought up is that it is cool seeing these quote unquote, big 12 style of offenses that everyone said, Oh, this will never work in the pros. Or it'll get shut down guess what? It does work. You just needed to have someone willing to do it. You know I mean? Mm. We've got Baltimore who did it. Uh, both, they obviously both Harbaugh's uh, and mm. Reed doing it. Uh, the Eagles now doing it as well. It's just, Hey, give it a shot and see what happens. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like I can guarantee you that if you built, you're running a game around the GT counter and all the different like screens and jet sweeps and stuff, you can build off of it. Uh, as we see more and more teams do, that's going to work. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you can do about it uh, systematically. But kind of segueing into that, you know, Patrick Mahomes had a, a statement in the, and, and Jalen kind of backed him up on that about the Big 12 saying, hey, I'm from the Big 12. Hurts is from the Big 12. Brock Purdy's from the Big 12. You're seeing these Big 12 philosophies and passing games not only extend beyond just the Big 12 regional foot, footprint in college football. SEC is putting up record-breaking numbers and scoring, uh, but it's also now infiltrating even further into the NFL. 20 years late, sure, <laughs> but it's gotten there You know, at that point in time. Uh, do you think Pat is right on that, that it is more a natural evolution of this stuff finally trickling up all the way? Or is this just basically, no, Pat, you're able to do that because of you, <laughs> not necessarily because of they're playing Texas tech offense. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, if you got a Pat Mahomes or you got, you know, a guy like Hertz who throws the ball well enough, but run is built like a tank and can run like that. I mean, (laughs) you know, it it certainly helps. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of it too could just be that with more, with more teams on lower levels, even in high school uh, running these kinds of offenses, it could also be like, you know, just a matter of um, expediency, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm, if I'm the offensive coordinator and my, and I know my guy has been steeped in these kinds of offenses coming up, like why spend a bunch of time trying to get them to, to play a different way? You know what I mean? Like why not just maximize what they do best and, uh, and, and work from there? You know, I, I mean, I don't know, but you know, the, the one thing that, 
you know, and, and this keeps coming up a lot in, uh, you know, in these OU to the SEC articles, you know, I think Matt Hayes had one out today about like, oh, it was like, fire beware, you know, you're not really getting the same Oklahoma, Oklahoma you had before, you know, like, everybody has said a million times, like, oh, God, it's gonna be so much harder for Oklahoma in the SEC. And I mean, yeah, it, well, I mean, player to player, yeah. But I mean, these these schemes that now everybody's trying to copy they're all starting in one place you know yeah. i mean nobody is out there trying to figure out i mean it, nick saban of all people is you know considered a coaching genius and he's basically a copycat you know i mean he's never really been the kind of guy where people looked at it and thought okay he's got a cutting edge defensive philosophy you got you're getting that at places like iowa state texas tech because they have to be on the cutting edge yep. to win that's i mean and, and and they care you know what i mean or hell I, a lot of the pistol stuff that people used to run that was coming from nevada you know <laughs> i mean like like that's the part of it where i just i i think that the uh drive to innovate that is required kind of on these on these lower levels where you know a Texas Tech has no shot at beating, you know, behemoth like OU unless unless it can bring something extra to the table. I mean, that's really been kind of the driving force of, of football for decades now. Yeah, it's the you know necessity is the mother of invention. You know, I mean, that's where it is. I mean, those most of these Big Twelve teams, especially now <laughs> uh, that we've got the announcement, they're not signing 70 percent blue chip ratios. I mean, I think the best is TCU, and they're signing like. 40% at max, you know, just that, that blue chip type, type of ratio there. Uh, everyone else is, you, you just have to figure it out. Like, what do we have? How do we figure out? How do we go from that point? And from that perspective, um, that that's always been the fun of watching a league like the Big 12 that I will miss, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. uh, of seeing how things get figured out and how things are uh, tinkered with. Like you mentioned the pistol. I miss watching pistol offenses. <laughs> it yeah. was like a flash in a pan. It was like a three, four year period. Then everyone kind of figured it out. And now no one runs a pistol, but it was cool. <laughs> it was yeah. cool to see three running backs on the field or whatever. And uh, it was a formation I used a lot in the NCAA. Uh, it was mm -hmm. just, it was just interesting. It had a lot of stuff there. Uh, and even just like the vernacular of NFL teams, we had a uh, Andy Reid talk about a, uh, the play they scored a touchdown on where the flanker kind of counters in and hits the flat. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we call that corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a one word call. And I remember when Cam Newton was going through the draft process, he was just being crushed for all the play calls being one word calls or two word calls instead of, you know, this really long sentence of mm -hmm. vernacular of you got to make, you've got to call every position group, but why? Right. Why did you have to do that? It could be one word calls where everything packaged together and everyone knows what that means. I think that's been something that's been very interesting of seeing just how the NFL operates, just its language is mm -hmm. changing. Like that's that barrier to entry um, mm -hmm. is dropping, which, which is, uh, you know, fairly cool in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the more you can kind of spread that out and, and make room for innovation in the sport, I think is, is always going to be a plus. We talked about how we're going to miss the big 12, uh, the SEC, OU Texas, uh, ESPN, Big 12, Fox, everyone seems to have come together and shaken their hands and understand that uh, OU Texas will be in the SEC in 2024. Uh, we're, what, 
I don't know, 200 days away, 300 days, I don't know, however many days away from uh, that actually happening in the summer of 24, not 200, I don't know, it's a four year. Yeah, four, yeah. Uh, more than that. Do, oh, God, I don't even know. We're old. Yeah. <laughs> we can't Whatever. figure it out. Yeah. Somebody, yeah, somebody tell us. Uh, you, you've talked about some of that buyer beware and how people are already kind of talking about it and stuff of that nature. And we, we've, we've beat this drum a, a lot, but it's set. It's finalized. OU is leaving. They're leaving a year early, 2024. They only have to pay play these uh, interlocutor this interlocutor year uh, one time. Uh, I, tr- I was trying to say that word correctly. Uh, this in between year uh, one time with the the Big 14 to the SEC. What what are your general like overall from you've seen? You're talking about reading articles and kind of picking stuff up that way. What are you walking into? I mean, we've talked about that, but now it's solidified. Uh, what does OU need to do to be ready? Not, so it's not, oh no, six and six OU and things of that nature. I mean, we're, we're a year and a half out. What's what's the mountain Brent has to climb, do you think? Yeah, I'm, I think that, you know, a, a big one is just the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, the, the kind of development that was going on there, the... Uh, amount uh the number of you know or just just really the the style of player that they were uh recruiting i i feel very good about where that's trending for ou at this point i think they're doing a good job there and that's not something i know uh, again a theme we've beat on a bunch of but that's not something you're going to be able to do through the uh, transfer portal as transfer portal players, oh, you, oh, you did well this year getting, you know, t- bring talent in, but those are all stopgap measures, right? Those are, you, you need, uh, you know, a, a conveyor belt of great athletes, great prospects, uh, you know, coming through developing that's, that's seems to be in my mind, the thing that I keep that I keep coming back to when I think about what OU is uh, getting itself into, I guess, you know, th- that's the on the field stuff. You know, you, you hear a lot about like, Oh, well, you need to improve the game day experience. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know enough about selling a football program or recruiting or any of that to really feel like I can uh, make a, you know, make much of a, a strong statement there, but I will say that um you know, this is the kind of thing though that's going to get the fan base fired up. It's gonna it's gonna juice donations. People are gonna, I think, now that you've got this, um, you know, announced and solidified, people are going to be, uh, you know, more willing to give. Uh, you know, when you when you because when you look at that 2023 home schedule, it's just not appealing. Uh, but you know, the idea now building on like you know we need we need support to uh, be ready for this move. I mean, I think that's a that's a much stronger sell now. Yeah, there was something uh, I read today when I was on the spin bike an hour uh, before getting here. Uh, I think it was Tulsa World. Uh, let me find out who was uh, Bill Haston. Mm-hmm. Potentially, uh, was basically talking about that twenty uh, twenty three home schedule being garbage. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, it's it's a hard sell, and he's talked about going back and forth of an OU fan saying, yeah, but these are teams that went twenty eight and twenty five or something like that. You know, if you pile them all together, they had a losing record last year. So OU will now potentially win more games, and who cares? <laughs> if, if OU is a better football team, they'll win more games regardless. I mean, that's 
that should be the focus of just improving the program, not can we just on paper win more games. On the field, oh, you need to be a better program. You know, it, it, yes, it, it looks better. If OU can leave the Big 12 9 and 3 or 10 and 2 or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but does that truly prepare them to play uh, a, a much higher a talent level team week to week potentially in the SEC? No, I mean, it just, it, yeah. it, it just doesn't. Um, and, you know, I, I'm ready. I, I, I was talking to some, uh, some of my older, some of my, my, I guess I'm older, some of my friends, and they're like, well, I want to miss playing some of these teams. And yeah, sure. But the game day experience, beyond just what OU needs to do, I think SEC kind of sells that on its own for a while. I mean, Ole Miss mm-hmm. coming, LSU coming. I mean, LSU fans in Norman, it's going to be wild. <laughs> yeah. You know, Alabama, Florida. It, it's going just that in and of itself. We'll be there. But as Bill said in the article, uh, in the last like five years, OU's recruiting rankings have been like 8th, 10th, 13th, 7th, 5th. Uh, Alabama's has been 1, 1, 2, 2, 1. <laughs> Georgia's 1, yeah. 1, 3, 4, 1. It means OU has work ahead of itself to be able to go there and be what I think it wants to be and what I think I think Oklahoma potentially can be. Um, so may, maybe I'll toss that question at you before we go into the, uh, the next, that other point. Can Oklahoma be historical Oklahoma in the SEC? We're talking about seven-time national championship, seven-time Heisman winner, 44 uh, conference championships. Can it be that caliber of a program moving forward in the SEC? I, I, you know, I don't, I think both of us, both think it's not going to fall off a cliff and OU six and six or becomes Texas A&M wins eight and four every year. Uh, but can OU be that every three years, every four years they're winning the conference and they're making playoff runs? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think that if you, those are your kind of standards, like competing for a national championship. Um, I, I don't know if OU will, stay at the clip that it's been at i mean i think that it's certainly possible what i what i can say and i feel very strongly about is that ou could not continue to be ou without doing something like this without moving to the sec or maybe the big 10 but i really feel like the sec is was is if that's if that's the end game then that's what OU has to do um, because it's just, I mean, we, 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 it's been borne out time and again in terms of, you know, where the players are, where the interest is, where the passion is, all that stuff. So like, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of silly for me to sit here and try to uh, prognosticate the future that way. But I mean, you know, it's kind of one of these things where it's like, for for those larger goals, yeah, this is the only option OU has. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll I'll try to answer that too. I mean, the historicalness of the University of Oklahoma, it wasn't Oklahoma now. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, used to Oklahoma would go into a game and they could win. You know, the quote Lincoln Riley had, and it caused a lot of hand wringing and all that stuff of it. Oh, this is just an excuse, yada yada yada. But the facts of it are, OU was. Every time Lincoln Riley took OU to uh, the playoff, it was probably the third 
fourth most talented team in the playoff. I mean, that's just how it was. I mean, mm-hmm. at that point in time, and there's no real way around that, to be honest with you. And if OU was going to stay in the Big 12, it was not going to improve. I mean, it, it was not going to be able to improve that talent profile at that point in time. I mean, the damage to that that brand uh, was done and had been done. Uh, now, some people may say, well, Peyton, OU just had the top five class or number four class. They've already got the SEC logo on their chest to these high school kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they won't be playing in the Big 12. <laughs> You know, the 2024 class, this coming class will not play a single down in the Big 12. They'll be fully, completely SEC. Uh, So that did help and that did the the boost there. Uh, So you're right. If OU didn't make the move, they were going to stop being Oklahoma just with the, you know, passage of time uh, playing the same teams and uh, seeing that the the, uh, resources kind of change on that perspective. Uh. But we have seen a lot of scheduling stuff come through. It's, uh, <laughs> content, the content season is high, uh, and everyone's talking about what they would do. Um, we've seen a lot of, uh, I think everyone's agreed to the consensus that will be three protected rivals and six rotating games. Uh, what are, and you were invited, I think, what, like eight months ago, six months ago, as like, like a, that, yeah. OU's drafter uh, of who you'd <laughs> yeah. want to be. Uh, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, OU ended up in that draft from all those beat writers. OU ended up with Texas, Missouri, and Florida. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, that does not seem to be the uh, the general consensus of what OU should do now, even though that seemed to be six months ago from when I was reading across a lot of people with what, they, what would be the cool thing to do. Now everyone seems to have shifted to Arkansas, Texas, and uh, uh, Missouri. Uh, but what would you, what would be your, I mean, because that was a drafted thing, but what would be your top three what that you'd want to protect for OU if it, if it were to move to a 3-6? Oh, gosh, man, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, you know, I mean, I was kind of, I was kind of basing my opinions there based, you know, I, I, I really did kind of like a sampling of fans, people, you know, that, you know, talk to that to kind of get an idea about what OU's preferences would look like um you know i mean yeah i i yeah, texas is a given that's that's non-negotiable um you know i mean i i do think arkansas would be would be fun in the sense that it's you know so close uh you know you could potentially use that uh to get some tulsa kids over to that game too even if you're the uh you know visitor i mean sure that would that works um you know, Mizzou, this is kind of part of the thing about it, like going into the uh, SEC, like I just don't see, there's not a ton of history for OU with a lot of these programs. So like saying, oh, oh, I want OU to play Alabama every year. Well, I mean, that would be cool. And, uh, but like, is is that something Alabama wants? I just, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think that I, I don't know. To me, you know, so long as they have uh, that game with Texas kind of locked down, um, you know, Arkansas is good. Missouri would be fine by me. Uh, Florida would be great by me too. I mean, but like, you know, I, I just don't see the appeal of like saying, oh, OU needs to play South Carolina every year. Like, no, I mean, whatever. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I've, ne- I've never really thought about like, these are the three teams I think that OU needs to lock down, you know? Well, luckily for both of us, I have. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's the three that 
of that draft that happened. I mean, I think OU needs to play Texas. Obviously, it's there. You play Missouri for the ancient old Big Eight ties. They've played mm-hmm. ninety six times before. Or they yeah. will. They will have played. They would have played over a hundred if they had stayed together, conference mates. Uh, there is history there. I know it's kind of weird or whatever, but there is ancient history with Missouri from those big eight days and big six days, all that kind of stuff. That's fantastic. In my opinion, you have that. And then just because I don't want OU playing it three protected in just the Western region of the conference Mm -hmm. and being kind of like geographically locked there. Mm -hmm. I do think it's Florida. I think it's interesting to to tag in someone from the extreme East going to the extreme West uh, and vice versa every year. And you're able to then if you're Oklahoma, uh, have a presence in Florida uh, yeah. every other year. To me, that's much more important than Arkansas because you know you're talking about the Texas kids. They can go to a Missouri game. I mean, that, that's not too far away either. I mean, mm-hmm. you can get to Columbia there. I, I've made that drive. It's not like it's yeah. three days or something. It's just you you get in the car for a while. Uh, yeah, I think that that's the one. I think that's the the best three combos there because then you have the you know you've got your neutral site game. You've got your ancient history, and then you have a team in Florida in which you can make a new rivalry with, and a, a team mm-hmm. in which is at the caliber of an Oklahoma to make it a, a, a strong rival moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, the thing that that does is that uh, I, I saw uh, Bill Elliott talk about seven versus nine. There are seven teams in which will win the SEC, and there's nine which will not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you were to give Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Florida, you would give them two of the seven. You right. know, potentially how you see Texas and Florida moving forward, and then only one of the nine. Uh, so there is, I could see a lot of people wanting to push for Arkansas because then it's you got to get past Texas. That's one of the one. That's your that's your every single year fighting mm-hmm. against a team that could win it, and then you've got teams that should be good talent wise, give you trouble. But teams you should be beating, you know, at that point in time. Yeah, My- and that's yeah, that's kind of the one thing that I think kind of people are wrestling with now was the idea back, you know, back when when I was doing this too is like you need to balance out competitively how these are set up, you know. I mean, because the idea, for example, of Arkansas, say Arkansas's three teams are A and M, Texas, OU. I mean, that's yeah, a, they're that's, fucked. That's tough, right? <laughs> I mean, like those are three teams that have significantly better talent profiles than they do. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's not a level playing field for them. Now, I don't know if that's what Arkansas wants, but uh, you know, that's competitively, it's not, it's not good for them. You know, I mean, and if OU were to get just Texas, Missouri, and Arkansas. That's kind of, the, I mean, if you're Alabama and they're like, and people, and they tell you, okay, you've got to play LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee every year. I mean, if I'm Alabama, I'm kind of pissed off about that. If that's if that's OU's draw instead, you know. Yeah, and the thing that, that you know, balancing out the competitiveness of it is there. There's always a trick to that. The big the Big Ten tried that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it didn't work. Uh, but then they went back to just, you know, straight geographical and that hasn't worked either. So I don't know, I don't know what they do. <laughs> They're also going to have to change the lines up to a certain degree with the USC and UCLA joining uh, that conference. But in my mind, here's how I'm going to shake it up. It, it answers kind of this, it's kind of the exact same thing where I talked about in um, this current season coming up for OU. If OU can't beat Texas and Florida, 
then they're probably not good enough to win the conference, and they're probably not right. making a deep run in the playoff anyway. Absolutely. You need to beat these teams. They're good teams, yes, but OU needs to be able to beat them consistently, uh, maybe not consistently, but it needs to be a coin flip at least. You need to be at there. You need to be at that point in time where you could do that. Uh, sure. It Does it all of a sudden, just, is the climb a little bit higher? Fine. But a 12-team playoff, you'll be coming out of the SEC, you can lose one of those games. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. you can split Texas, Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And still be right in the running at, at the very end of this whole thing. Uh, so I just don't want OU fans or the SEC to think, because you really could. I mean, you could take the seven and say, how do we give them the cush schedules <laughs> as best yeah. as we can? So Alabama, Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma are at the end every year because they're the bell cows. They're making all the money. We. And if you're making, you know, if that's the idea of the conference, because I mean, I guess that's, I guess it is just a business, then yeah, maybe it should be shaded that way. I mean, those are the full school, four schools, then you need to be pushing to, uh, pushing towards the top of your program every single year. Uh, but I think, I don't know, playing cool games is cool. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> absolutely. Away I mean, from as, that. A fan, as a fan, you know, I mean, I'd rather see OU playing Texas, Florida, Missouri, as opposed to, arkansas vanderbilt kentucky right <laughs> or what have you you know i mean like that's that's the thing i think that i think the bigger problem is going to be i think that the bigger concern before was actually making sure that the better teams were playing more of the better teams i think yes. that i mean because like if you're kentucky for example you don't want tennessee florida alabama somehow like that you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you know, so it was, but more those would be their three. If you just went off rivals, like historical yeah, rivals or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like you could say instead of Alabama, for example, you give, give like if, if Kentucky, for example, like the way it was back then, right. Is kind of, they, they drew a line at, at eight teams to be each. Right. So you said seven, they said eight. Right. So it would have been Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, Texas, Texas A&M, Florida, um, LSU and Georgia. Right. Yeah. Those would have been the eight above the line, everybody else below the line. Right. So you can make arguments about some of these like Tennessee, for example, yeah. versus Texas, Texas a &M, a &M. type of thing. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. But like so. So point. But the point being like. You know, you wanted Kentucky to play two teams from below the line and one team from above, yes. as opposed to the other way around. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's a matter. I don't think the SEC will be trying to rig the schedule necessarily. You know, I think it's more being being fair to those teams on the on the lower rungs so that they're not just getting their their brains beat in all, all year. I do wonder if it'd be interesting if it's a one seven masquerading as a three six. As in, you basically say, and this might be an entirely stupid thing I'm about to say, but for like OU, for like OU, you say it's permanent no matter what. OU has Texas mm -hmm. for the next ten years. They have Missouri, Florida, right. and then we will renegotiate those two in ten years. You know, something like that. So then you could address potential someone has slipped below the line and stuff like that, and then you could end up making kind of like an NFL style thing. Yeah. But it'd be like a 10 years down the line. So like every year, you know, NFL changes the worst team, play the worst teams and the best yeah. teams play the best teams. Uh, yeah. That might be something that's interesting. But as we said, you know, as we both know, um, 
uh, college football scheduling. If it's not done 30 years in advance, it just can't happen. <laughs> yeah. It's just impossible. <laughs> uh, and the last thing we have, uh, 2023, uh, I guess is here if we're already talking about it. Uh, SB Plus has their first mm-hmm. uh, their first uh, rankings out. Uh, Bill Conley, friend of the podcast. We need to get him back on. Alan, cough, cough, Alan. <laughs> uh, make the call. Uh, and he has OU setting at, I believe, a very respectable 14th overall. Um, what do you see? I mean, what do you see from the initial wave of this SB plus? Uh, and man, does it seem early (laughs) (laughs) to be doing this, but I mean, oh yeah, 14th. I I think that's totally fair. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, oh, you finished 20th last year, maybe. Um, and you know, 14 seems, seems about right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I can't see say much, you know, uh, you know, I mean, if you keep in mind, oh, you might have finished 20th last year, I believe they started fourth. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's always room for uh, for variance within these. Uh, and then I think I've already seen some win totals, like some like 24 seven put some win totals, but I didn't I didn't like hunt those down. We'll, we'll save those for uh, for uh, <laughs> for next week. Um, I think the interesting thing for OU moving forward is that, and, and maybe this, I mean, OU has a runway. If, if we're going to play just stacking wins and avoiding losses, OU does seem to have a pretty decent runway in front of them in order just to do that on paper. I mean, I just spent the, the last hour railing against that thought. But at the end of the day, how many wins did you have? <laughs> how many losses <laughs> did you avoid? Um, I believe they only play one team ranked ahead of them at this point in yeah. time uh, yeah, in Texas and Texas, Texas is yeah. ranked like sixth or something. Texas um, is nine, nine. Okay. Uh, so within spitting distance of uh, yeah. uh, university of Oklahoma, uh, do you think this is going to hold true to that? Do you think the big 12 is going to have that much of a drop off? Uh, and I think the PAC 12 has seen a pretty decent rise uh, in these rankings kind of across the board. Do you think the big 12 kind of slips from that, uh, the third best conference, at least for a year? uh well i mean like last year i thought the big 12 was probably the second best overall conference but um oh yeah true or in my it could have been better than that i mean like let's well let's look at it. like okay let's say let's let's draw a line at top 25 there's kansas state at 22 tcu 19 ou 14 texas 9 so i mean that's four or 14 teams respectable right mm-hmm. um but yeah i i mean at the same time, it does seem to me like it's it's hinting at a, a down year within the league, um, and and that's kind of that's kind of what I expect. So, yeah, I think I, I mean that kind of is in line with my expectations. Yeah, I'm trying to count up uh, Pac-12 to make sure I'm seeing about how dumb I am. UCLA's one, two, three, four, yeah, they've got four as well, uh, leading in charge USC at ten. Uh, and then SEC obviously has a a, a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, that you know that is just a difference. What's the use? What does uh, SEC have? Well, SEC has let's see here: one Georgia, two Alabama, three Tennessee, four LSU, uh, nine, uh, five yeah, five A and M, six Ole Miss, seven Florida, eight Mississippi State, nine Kentucky. Yeah, so OU will be moving from four to. 10. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that part is the difference there. I mean, right. You know, you and I can talk about, well, is Kentucky, I mean, 
what is Kentucky other than just a really good team, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who's somewhat living off the, I mean, you know, the, the Big Ten, obviously, its reputations were saved by Ohio State and Michigan, both making the playoff. Uh, but if they didn't, ex- you know, there wasn't enough around them to prop up the entirety of the league. Uh, you can win these games. I think oh, you can obviously win these games and, uh, and continue on moving forward that way. Uh, one of the but one of the interesting things to me here, looking at this, is that like at fourteen, let's see, oh, you finished twenty. I'm, I'm looking at OU's twenty twenty two profile, SP SP plus profile. Oh, you finished twentieth, then uh, offense ten, defense seventy. So I mean, if if Bill has the, the defense going to 36th, I mean, that's a significant improvement, right? You know, so that part of it is kind of that, – that's the thing that is catching my eye the most looking at this. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I mean, if OU is sitting at ninth overall offense and 36th overall defense, they're not finishing 14th. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like – I. It, Maybe, maybe not, but like, you know, I mean, like to me though, like, it's just saying like, that's a, that's a significant bump in the defense. Like that's major. I mean, 70th to 36th. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think everyone is screaming at OU fan. I mean, OU fandom was screaming for such a long time. It's like, I don't need a top five defense. I don't need a top 10 or top 15. Just get in the top 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you can yeah. just do that then you can start making moves and, and start going that way. You know, he has Texas uh, at 16th on the defense side of things, uh, rejecting to give up 17.8 points per game. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to see the, how yeah, you're, you're stacked uh, yeah. together, but how quickly and far apart the gaps uh, really are. Cause I mean, OU is sitting at uh, 36th, um, but there obviously is a big, big difference between like, you know, two and five versus 36th and 17th yeah. or something. Uh, you know, the bunches, it's always cool to see where the bunches are and see where right. the tiers uh, ha- have developed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But if Tennessee can go, f- can be the second overall defense, second overall offense and the 32nd overall defense, they may have <laughs> a mm-hmm. lot to say about how the uh, college football season is going to play out. Uh, I guess maybe one last thing here. Uh, Georgia hires a, a new uh, offensive coordinator. What is old is new again in Mike mm-hmm. Bobo. Uh, I, did, I don't know much about Mike Bobo other than a lot of people on Twitter today said, oh, man, here we yeah. go. Uh, is this a continuation or a, uh, an evolution for for uh, Georgia moving forward, or is this the very first test that Kirby now has to uh, see now that Lanning and uh, Mulkin are both gone fully? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I know about Mike Bobo really is, I mean, like Georgia fans for a while, I believe he was like, mark rick's last offensive coordinator or somewhere along there uh and uh, i mean everybody everybody bitched about him non-stop Uh, in in georgia circles and i mean i gotta be honest i mean i watch i watched a lot of those games too and watching georgia play a lot of times was painful um so it's it's surprising now the thing to keep in mind i guess here though is like you know bobo was on their staff already Yes, uh, I believe is uh, he was an analyst. analyst. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, like, let's say that really the plan here is here's Todd Munkin's playbook. Like, you just need to execute it. You know, I mean, 
that's that's a that's a kind of a, a different animal you know what i mean like nick saban's been doing that for a while now you know where you you're you learn the alabama offense and then you kind of tailor it to his specifications or to what you do best right uh so we'll we'll see how it works with bobo but you know munkin did a really good job there so it's kind of he hard did. to i mean you know it, it's a, it's gonna be a lot for bobo to live up to and you know i mean if he doesn't succeed i mean people are going i you gotta think the the hook there will be pretty quick who was the oklahoma state uh, offensive coordinator that really ramped up that program dana holgerson dana, <laughs> i thought somebody was before dana uh well no i think i believe the deal was mike gundy uh hired dana in 2010 at the behest of um of boom pickens because i think gundy was like the de facto offensive yes. coordinator in 2009 yeah. so they they hired holgerson holgerson was there for a year mm-hmm. uh, at the time gunter brewer it says here was the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. then they replaced him with holgo but then munkin i i believe i believe munkin was next right two thousand yeah 2011 yeah. that yeah that was munkin he got a job then i believe like at southern miss maybe he was still there 2012 2013 that's when they went over to mike yersich yersich so yeah yeah so like the oklahoma state thing was is i remember reading about the yersich stuff of saying like yeah i have my own systems but i have to learn this oklahoma state thing which dana had kind of put in place uh you know, you have to within that system, and you've seen it, it took what eight years for that to fall apart. Finally, <laughs> yeah. Stru- I mean, structurally and, and yeah. systematically, you you get further and further away from it. You eventually start kind of breaking down. I, I do wonder how long the system in which Todd Mulkin you know implemented into Georgia, because mm-hmm. you know I-, I bet it's a constant pull for Kirby Smart. <laughs> <laughs> To have to do this, yeah. you know, to, to play yeah. in these manners in which they play offensively. I, I bet it is. I mean, he want you can tell he wants to play a certain way. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it takes it takes a lot to get past that. You know, Saban, I think the biggest part of Saban has been to completely embrace the offensive evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been the biggest point in time, uh, in my opinion, on that. Yeah. But the, I mean, like the, the thing about it is, too, though, is like when they say there's a Nick Saban offense or there's a or like Alabama offense or Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State offense. Really, that's just talking about verbiage, right? Like how you put the pieces together is a lot of times what uh, is important for the is important for the coordinators or how you, you know, integrate, you know, deploy the different concepts for them it's a matter of the, what what's what those coaches want is they don't want the players to have to be learning a new language uh over and over they want the coaches to learn the language and then you yes. you know apply their own ideas yeah uh now i guess one final final thing that kind of broke for the last few days man notre dame just can't hire anybody isn't, that's, <laughs> yeah. isn't that just wild that's complete yeah. i mean getting turned down uh uh, man, who turned them down? Um, Andy Ludwig is the most recent one. He, yeah. uh, they apparently the report that came out today said that Notre Dame didn't want to pay his uh, buyout, which was about three million dollars. Um, which you know kind of raises the question: How did this get that far down the tracks? If they knew that there's that buyout there, <laughs> like it's one thing to say, "Oh, well, we want to negotiate that down," but it's another to say, uh, like. 
we won't pay we this is who we want but not at that price you know what i mean yeah i mean that's i mean maybe i'm wrong but 2.8 just seems like the price of doing business <laughs> i mean it doesn't seem like yeah. it's anything outrageous i mean it's not like you're buying out jimbo <laughs> 30 million bucks yeah. or something uh, i mean I, I mean maybe it is something you have to bulk at because you're gonna have to 2.8 and then you're going to have to pay this dude like 1.5 minimum and you know something like that and you know money starts adding up at that point you're talking about four yeah. million dollars that does start adding up but I, mean, I thought you wanted to win football games but i guess not <laughs> yeah i mean like but like notre dame there's a you know it it's it sounds like they're kind of you know they're made of money i mean they've got plenty of it there's no doubt about that but they've always <laughs> They've had this weird deal with this. Like I, I can remember, and I've had some, you know, some insight into some of the stuff there, you know. And I can remember uh, one guy who was somewhat plugged in telling me, like, "Oh, this was this would have been. I mean, this would have been a long time ago, like say 2000, 1999, somewhere in there, right? They were getting ready to fire Bob Davy, and he was like, "Oh no, Steve Spurrier wants the job, and he's he's willing to take a pay cut to come here because it's Notre Dame." And I remember thinking, like, are you kidding? Like, get the fuck out of here. And, like, but, like, that's kind of uh, culturally kind of what we're talking about with ND. I think a lot of the time there's maybe some, uh, it, you know, the idea that they have the most realistic uh, view or, how, or understanding of how they're viewed maybe, uh, you know, outside of South Bend is just kind of uh, not always in line with uh, with reality. Yeah, I know. Uh, and it's similar to like a Michigan or something. They've got the money to spend it. They've just decided they're not going to spend it. I mean, that's yeah. You know, or you that, should be happy enough that we're offering you this job. That you know, you should be willing to take a pay cut, or you know, I mean, exactly. Get get, get out of here. I mean, there are a few jobs in which I would. I mean, hell, I mean, I, I would take any amount of money a cultural ball team wanted to pay me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, Alabama, sure. <laughs> that's just yeah. like a head coach factory at that point in time. It's like, oh yeah, yeah sure, I'll, I'll move over for similar salary. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be there for a year or two, then I'm getting a head coaching job somewhere. Uh, you know, that's you know, there's certain places which which set you up that way. Uh, you know, the Fighting Irish just isn't that place, not anymore. Yeah. All right, uh, I think that covers everything. Do we uh, did we get everything you wanted to chit chat about, Alan? Yeah, definitely, visits? man. No, there's a lot. There was a lot going on, man. A lot more than I expected. Yeah, so uh no no just uh we we covered it all ready for some hoops yeah ready for some hoops we'll be uh breaking down i don't know breaking down anything uh <laughs> but i'll be reviewing the uh arlington uh renegades first game this weekend <laughs> okay <laughs> try to give you some uh see if there's some betting lines out there uh for the real sickos uh <laughs> Whew, yeah i know right um uh, man they're it's a disease people have <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah. But guys, uh, guys and uh, and uh, and gals, thanks for listening. Uh, from myself, Peyton Guthrie, Alan, and Matt, who didn't even dress. Matt couldn't be here covering the Thunder right. stuff and potentially on a Valentine's date. Total loser. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 wishes as well, and to uh, everyone who's spending the, the night with us instead of being out in town, you probably lucked out. It's a lot of money you guys spend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without any further ado, thank you guys. We appreciate it. Thanks for Ness House. Thanks for everybody. Uh, Boomer. Boomer.